everybody. This is John Ubaldi with Ubaldi Reports. With me today is Joe Bits, And today we got a special program because we're going to discuss the chaos that has engulfed the American precipitous withdrawal from Afghanistan. And it seemed like it caught our national security community flat-footed. It really has been a debacle in the making. And considering I served in Afghanistan for two tours, it just seems amazing that Everybody seemed to not get what was going on, including our president, who's really been absent through this whole process. He gave a press conference today and he everybody was thinking he was going to talk about Afghanistan because that's the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And his whole entire press conference was a speech he gave about covid vaccines, mandates and a booster shot that you can get starting in September. Nothing on Afghanistan. He didn't even take any questions. So well, he didn't take questions last time when he was acknowledging the fact of the debacle of withdrawing the troops. He didn't even take questions then. Is even like maybe thrown around there that at the end of his teleprompter, it says leave as soon as you got done. Te- talking. Well, I think they told him that don't take any questions because they know even before this debacle happened and something we've discussed many times on this program, that he's not good answering questions. He'll script it just like he did at the G7 and the NATO summit over the summer, mm-hmm. where he'll, he goes, these are the, the names they told me to call, and that's it. Yeah. So they know that if he starts to ask questions, and, and now the press, who's been really making life favorable for Joe Biden, they really haven't asked him tough questions. Now they need tough questions. And they're not getting it from definitely the secretary of state. He hasn't had a press conference since this. He had his, I think, number two or number three. Mm-hmm. And she did a horrible job. Then you had the secretary of defense and chairman of the joint chief, Mark Milley, get up there and do a press conference. And they said some bizarre things when the secretary of defense said, we can secure the airfield at the Harmi Karzai International Airport and the embassy. But when he was pressed on, what about the Americans outside that ring? He goes, we can't get to them. We don't have the capability to get to them. Mm -hmm. So that was a stunning admission. And then General Milley made the comment that nobody could predict this when reports have been coming out that the intelligence community warned him that this was going to be a problem. And it's interesting. I've got a source at CENTCOM. This is U.S. Central Command here in Tampa. And he stated that CENTCOM sent up a request to the United States Military Command Authority. And the way it works, because of the Goldwaters-Nichols Act in 1986, the Joint Chiefs Chairman, General Milley, Uh he speaks collectively for the Joint Chiefs. Prior to that, each member of the Joint Chiefs could go into the talk to the president and give their views they collectively come up with a strategy and he presents these, the one voice for the joint chiefs. Yeah. Okay. Because of the Goldwater's Nichols act, the, the combat command, which is us central command based out of Tampa, general McKenzie, he has a direct, he reports not to the, the joint chiefs. He reports directly to the secretary of defense. And who then reports to the president. Mm -hmm. So the source told me that the CENTCOM reported to the U.S. command military command authority, which would be the secretary of defense, that they requested 
a while ago to let's evacuate the Americans. And the way it would work is you evacuate American citizens first, equipment, then you evacuate troops last. The way they did this one is troops went out first Mm -hmm. and it left all the Americans and there's between 10 and 15,000. Now that's still one source, but that would be interesting to be asked and ask General McKenzie, did you make a request once President Biden, I think it was April, said all U.S. troops must be out by the 31st of August. Did you request to go get and evacuate all American citizens first? And were you denied by the U.S. military command authority? Who made that decision to decline that order that you wanted to do? I kind of want to take it from uh, my end is... um so Facebook is all flutter. A few weeks ago, they were all COVID and vaccine experts. Now they are experts in diplomatic uh, oh, yeah. affairs and, you know, in foreign affairs. I've seen a lot like what I've noticed, and I don't know if it was like Photoshopped or whatnot, but I see a lot of Taliban with a, well, not ARs, but. Yeah, what happened is. We armed the Afghan army, folded in the field, dropped their weapons and left and ran. The Taliban overran a lot of these positions and they showed pictures in the news. I think I saw today where you saw at least hundreds and hundreds of U.S. made um, rifles, M16s, ARs, whatever you want to call them. So they did capture a lot of weapons. They have Black Hawk helicopters now. Can they fly them, though? What's going to happen is they will be trained how to use them. It's not like they're inept. They'll have somebody train them how to use them. But who? That could be the Pakistani intelligence services because the Taliban got a lot of its funding through drug trade. Okay. But they also got a lot of their funding from the ISI, which is inter-service intelligence directed of the Pakistani military. Mm -hmm. People need to understand the Pakistani military runs that country. The civilians are just an appendix of the Pakistani military. If the civilians do something the military doesn't like, they're out of the door. This is going to be a stupid question. So there's Al-Qaeda and there's ISIS. Okay, I know those are terrorist organizations. Is the Taliban a, quote unquote, a terrorist organization or do they just fund or house terrorist organizations? They're both. They're a terror organization and they house terror organizational groups. Now, there was reports, and I guess some of the people in Washington think that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are separate from each other. Okay. They're not. They're intricately related by theological thought. Al-Qaeda gets Islamic jurisprudence through the the Wahhabist version of Islam that was around, I think, the 1725 in a part of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And what that means is they go back to the days of the prophet Muhammad. Okay. If it wasn't around during that period, it's an apostate thing. So yeah. they take about, it would be like, if you're a Christian, you're going to take your beliefs the way how Christ lived, how yeah. he walked, how he ate, whatever he did, you're going to do. If he didn't do it, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So they would take out all modern equipment. The Taliban get their jurisprudence through Islam, through the Dibandi school of thought, which was centered around a city in India back by around the same time as the Wahhabist version. It's intricately related. It's very similar to the Wahhabist version. So anybody who suggests the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are not linked, they're wrong. Okay. So let me maybe 
Americanize us a little bit. So we have Christians, say we have Catholics, and we have Mormons, and we all believe in like the Jesus Christ, except Christians believe in Jesus and God. And then you have the Catholics, they believe in Jesus, Mary, all the saints, God. And then you have Mormon that they believe in Jesus and they believe in God, but it's like they're own different sect. Is it kind of like how Afghanistan is? We have three different kind of ideologies. You can say, you can say yeah, that, but it's just that the fundamentalists of Islam want to take Islam back to the heyday of the Islamic um, empire type thing. This is at the founding of Islam by the prophet Muhammad. Okay. And then what I want to see if I can relate it is like maybe Al-Qaeda the same group that within maybe the Christians that are anti-abortion and they're the ones that are blowing up the abortion clinics and going after well, doctors. You, can take, what, it, you can take it from something like that. The thing is we have the Bible. Oh yeah. Okay. And everybody can read different interpretations of the same verse. Yeah. You may take it one way. I might take it another way, but it, to the fundamentalist, they take the literal translation of the Quran. Okay. Like so, some people take the literal translation, translation of, of the Bible. Bible. Okay. They would really take the literal translation. When they talk about jihad, jihad is an internal struggle within oneself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean go out and kill your fellow man. So I really think if we're going to maybe part this talk periodically, or actually until we get maybe some kind of resolve, I really think that we can maybe go breaking down what exactly ignited the attack on 9-11 and then see where we are now because we've done other things. We went to Iraq. Afghanistan was like the mainstay and it's even to the point where Iraq is now like maybe a a little bit of like a blip compared to Afghanistan. But I think they did a little bit better of a job leaving iraq than they did afghanistan we're gonna have to wait and see how afghanistan plays out it's not looking good right now but when we pulled out of afghan iraq it's kind of ironic the arab countries told president bush don't go into iraq but they also told president obama don't leave iraq Mm -hmm. and once we left iraq the generals wanted to have a residual force left in iraq so we can help with whatever we needed to get done yeah Once we pulled out and the seeds were set in 2008. And what I mean by that is President Obama, when he was president elect, said, we're going to get out of Iraq and we're going to fight the good war, which is in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Now, President now President Biden, he voted for the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. He supported U.S. troops going in to Afghanistan. Then he became against it when he became vice president. So what I mean by the seed started in 08, once we decided to pull out, as soon as President Obama became president, he never talked to, never did any, never want to do anything or hear anything different except we need to pull out. So he puts Joe Biden in charge. Joe Biden never even talked to the Iraqi prime minister. We're just getting out. So we pull out and that we didn't solve any of the problems. And that left this turmoil, which ICE filled. Okay. So then we had to go back because ISIS took over and the Iraqi army fled. And the same situation you see here is what's replicated in Afghanistan. Why did the Iraqi army fold after we spent billions of dollars training them? 
like we have now. It's not, and it's not like it took a couple, not even a couple days. It took hours to, yeah, for but, them to, to be like, okay, we're done. But see, but like I said on the phone before we started this podcast, people are looking at what well, we train them. They don't want to fight. That's false. The, for the last couple of years, the brunt of the fighting has been conducted by the Iraqi army. Except they're just not getting paid. When you, okay. Like the analogy I told you, you work for the post office. What would you do if the post office took your money, took your food, took everything that you need to, to, to conduct your business? Are you going to stay in a crisis? No. I'm, I'm, as soon as the first check doesn't clear, I'm out. So this is what the United States needs to realize, not just in Iraq, Afghanistan, even in the northern triangles of Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, mm-hmm. you have all these people. And we keep hearing all these migrants and seeing all these hundreds of thousands of migrants fleeing across the U.S. southern border. And President Biden and Kamala Harris, the vice president, who is overseeing the, 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 the source of origin, she keeps saying, we got to fix it down there. Unless you have strong institutions, meaning you have a separate executive, legislative and judiciary. Also, you have the key departments, like Department of Transportation, Department of Energy. I'm just saying like we have here in the United States, but even the Department of Defense, that they make sure that we get paid every two weeks. We get the equipment we need. Yeah. But when you see corruption that is from top to bottom, Mm -hmm. take your money, take your food, take your equipment. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing. And so when you have an outside force like the Taliban or ISIS in Iraq. Why would you stand and fight for this guy who took your money, who took your food? Mm-hmm. So you're going to go protect your family. Yeah. Just like they did in Iraq and the office of the inspector general for um, Afghan reconstruction said the same thing. What you saw in Iraq is going to happen here, mm-hmm. but no one paid attention. So there's a lot of unanswered questions from the military standpoint, you had General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, said there's no reason we don't suspect the Afghan army, I'm paraphrasing, of course, is going to fold as fold. They're going to be able very capable. Then they said the 90 days and then in 72 hours later, they're done. But it, it sounds like he doesn't know why they folded. I would be stunned. And I talked to, again, that one source and I've seen it myself and I've talked to other veterans who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, but if we strictly talk Afghanistan, everybody was feeding up these glowing reports. Oh, everything's good. These guys are very good mm-hmm. when in fact they weren't. So the, the generals were presenting a false narrative to the American people and to Congress, but Congress never pressed them on it. Okay. So I just want to clarify a couple things because so like people think that all that those those rifles and the Humvees and the drones and the tanks and all that kind of stuff like that. They thought a lot of people maybe on Facebook and I got a, actually a, a funny story about this in a second, but them seeing all that equipment, it wasn't we didn't leave that there in a haste. We left that there for the Af- Afghani correct, army. Correct. Okay, that was for the Afghan. And then army. as soon as we leave, it's the Taliban comes in and Afghani armies look. We ain't getting paid. My name's not Paul. See y'all kind of thing like that. And the Taliban's like, okay, this is now all our stuff. Correct. Okay. I think that should be clarified because a lot of people think that as much as the 
Biden administration's kind of mishandling the situation. I don't think they should be taking a full blame of things that might have already been set in place prior no, to this goes back and I wrote an article. You can catch it on Ubaldi reports. This is what the, the blame game is at the beginning. The the failure in Iraq Afghanistan started under the Bush administration. When okay. They went from the combat phase into the nation building. And everybody says we shouldn't be nation building. They said we're not nation building. They were saying one thing, but they were nation building. There were several opportunities, especially from one President Bush saying mission accomplished. That should have been maybe it. Or when Osama bin Laden was killed, that should have been another opportunity. But see, but see, the, the problem is what defines end state? What was our strategy? Our strategy, we keep hearing, was to keep Afghanistan from being a safe haven for Islamic terrorists, mm-hmm. namely Al Qaeda. Okay, so we go in, and then all of a sudden, we switch over. So we're going to make Afghanistan a Western-style democracy. Okay. Now, I'm sure you've heard, and you'll see this on Facebook many times, Afghanistan's the graveyard of empires, which is true. Yeah. Starting from Alexander, I mean, excuse me, starting from the Persians to Alexander to the Mongols to the British to the Russians and now us. Mm-hmm. The problem is everybody, every new empire that went into Afghanistan never learned the mistakes of the previous empire. Yeah. When you tried to impart a Western or a foreign government structure into a tribal system, they're not used to it. Afghanistan never had a strong centralized government in Kabul. Yeah. The closest they had of stability was from 1928 to 1973 when they had a king. He was centered in Kabul. And what he did, he mediated between the tribes and the ethnic groups. But basically, all the power was down at the centralized provincial tribal level. Because you have 18 different tribes operating or ethnic groups operating in Afghanistan, with the the largest being the Pashtuns, which make up majority of the Taliban. So when we came in, we, we were aligning ourselves with the Northern Alliance. The Pashtuns didn't like that because that's an, an ethnic group they fought for centuries. And I think they belong to the, not the Hazars, they're the Shiites, um, Tijeks or Ezbeks. Uh-huh. And they fought with them for centuries. So they didn't like, they should be the ones to be in power to their mind. So I think this is just giving our listeners a generalization, especially your knowledge when it comes to Iraq and Afghanistan, I should say, forget Iraq. It should just, because you also serve there. So I want to hit you with several questions, but maybe as I'm saying it is that unless maybe I'll get you all three at once, but then you dissect them. But should we have been in Afghanistan as long as we were? Should we have left the way we did? And then at the end, how would you have planned the exit of getting out of Afghanistan if that was your solution? Was there a different solution? first we should have been in afghanistan because of what the taliban did and their partnership with al-qaeda okay how we should have stayed 20 years that i don't know the only thing i can say is the mistakes that we made is we tried to replicate a western system of government in afghanistan which never was going to work the other problem we have and nobody has addressed this i wrote an article about this as a new way forward in afghanistan back in 2010 for my master's program you can't solve afghanistan until you solve pakistan okay because 
20 of the largest terror organizations in the world reside in Pakistan, and they will reside in that northwest frontier border province that, that's right next to that borders Afghanistan. The border between Pakistan and Afghanistan is called the, the, the Debandi line. That was set up by the British in about 1890s, 1898. Okay. Nobody recognizes it. It's a porous border. Yeah. And if you look at an insurgency, the one you could probably most resemble what's going on is the Algerian Civil War with the French in the late 1940s, early 19, up into the 1950s. Mm-hmm. They fought an um, Islamic insurgent that was, had their, uh, what am I thinking of? They had sanctuaries in Tunisia. So when somebody has a sanctuary that you can't get to, they're just going to keep pouring across the border and eventually whittle down the French. So we didn't understand, one, the tribal system in Afghanistan. We didn't understand that they're not used to a centralized government. It's always a tribal system. Yeah. It may not be perfect, something we're not used to. They may be harsh to ethnic groups, but it, it's that's them. So instead of you would say, instead of us inserting a president in uh, Afghanistan, we should have probably just inserted a king. Or what we should have done is gone in and say, took out Al-Qaeda, took out the Taliban, let the, the tribes reconstitute itself because mm-hmm. they were really destroyed when the Soviet Russians went in. 1979 and came out of you know, 92, 91. Yeah. So what we should have done is don't put our system of government in there. Let the tribes just say to the tribes, listen, we're not going to be skipping around the countryside, throwing out money that will help you because the, the people of Afghanistan don't like the Taliban. They just don't like the brutal repression the Taliban pushes. So but, w- at what point are they just going to say we're done with it and just stand well, up like we did back, the, you know, in 1775? Once the tribes reconstitute themselves as best we can, and then we focus on, hey, we'll help you defeat the Taliban, but we're not going to pick sides. We're not going to pick one side over the other. We're not going to pick one ethnic group or one whatever. But let me tell you this, you touch an American God, I mean, your family a thousand years from now is going to say, oh, my ancestors screwed up. Yeah. And but you can't you've got to deal with the situation in Pakistan and it has to be a regional approach. We were playing this carrot and stick because Pakistan supports terrorism, but they also have nuclear weapons. And at any time they can go nuclear against India. And they came the world came extremely close in 1999, um, in the Kargil Pass area, which is around in the Himalaya Mountain region, mm-hmm. they almost went nuclear. So and, why can't America just, instead of focusing their efforts on Afghanistan, because that's uh, history tells us that's a lost cause. Why not be like, hey, Pakistan, what's going on? Let's talk here, buddy. And that's something that we need to address is we got to have a better way of dealing with Pakistan. Tell them to listen. You got to deal with these Islamist extremists. And the problem for Pakistan is once they open that Pandora's box, ain't putting it back together. Now these Islamist groups are strong and they're going to be pushing back against the Pakistani government. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to play it both ways. Now, the money that we give them, that goes to the military. And most of that equipment and funding goes to build their army on the eastern side of Pakistan, the border of India. Yeah. That's their mortal enemy. 
and they fought like three or four wars in Pakistan is extremely paranoid because in the early 60s, they fought a war with India. They thought the United States would come to their side. We didn't. Mm -hmm. Then they fought another war with India in, I think, 71, which they lost, which it used to be East Pakistan, which is present day Bangladesh. Yeah. And they got their butts handed to them and they thought we would come in again. And so they, Pakistan's waiting for us to help them out. They always think that we're going to come to their aid when there's a problem. Like when we, we use Pakistan to send money to the Mujahideen to fight the Russians. But then when the war was over, we left. So it's like the little kid picking on a big kid, hoping that another big kid would help him out. Kind of way. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is definitely going to be, but the last point on this, Pakistan has never decided what it is what's its identity mm -hmm. are you as islamist nation or are you a muslim nation because when pakistan was formed after the second world war when it, you know it split off from it was india was the controlled by britain mm -hmm. and that included present-day pakistan when they split off it was millions died but also their first president muhammad Jinnah, he died within 30 days of tuberculosis so what would it be like america was founded the revolution. We signed the constitution. The first president is George Washington. 30 days later, he dies. Mm -hmm. Then the number two guy gets assassinated and it's just, they never identified. So they keep pushing this Islamist thing. And then you had general Zia, who was the general Z who was the leader of Pakistan during most of the Russian um, occupation of Afghanistan, he took a lot of American money, but he pushed his country more Islamist. So a big question I have, and I kept on, I keep on hammering it to you. And then I ask you if Trump was still president, would he have handled it differently? But I just want to maybe squash that and just say, could any other administration handle this in a different different in a different way because you get the cards that you are dealt there was a sub there the when president trump was in office he's like may 1st or may 31st you're out of there and then biden comes in here and he's just trying to make it all like uh, poetic justice by we're out of here by september 11th kind of because it started 20 years from now or it's going to end 20 years from now I think the point is every president beginning with george bush wanted to pull out of afghanistan bush obviously didn't then barack obama said afghanistan was the good fight the good war iraq was the bad war so let's end iraq and let's ramp up in Afghanistan. But as soon as he said we're in December of 2009, we're going to send about 40,000 more troops to do a surge into Afghanistan. A couple sentences later, he said, we're going to pull out within this time frame. He was always trying to pull out. And then when he we killed bin Laden in Pakistan, he said, oh, the, the, the theme went around. We killed bin Laden. Al Qaeda was on the run, which wasn't accurate. Mm -hmm. And. There was a problem with intelligence being altered because it reflected something different than the narrative. So Trump comes along and I can only speculate this, but he had questions of his generals and the national security leadership, especially those who are career bureaucrats. And he kept saying, OK, so we're here in Afghanistan. What do you want us? What are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. And they probably said, we're going to need you to do, we want to do this. He kept hearing the same song and dance for a number of years. Now, Trump is not ideologically driven. 
like some like Republicans are. Yeah. They're so ideologically like the neoconservative. We've got to do this. That's not Trump takes a business approach to it. And people I've listened to who served with them said Trump also takes new information. He makes up his mind. But if you present new information, he's adapt to change his mind to reflect that new information. Well, the way I was I heard it is that he was he's an American first president. So when, when it comes to the that whatever it is that benefits America, he will always take that in consideration over anything else. That was probably his mindset and why a lot of generals disagreed with him when he wanted to pull out of Syria and pull out of Afghanistan and stuff like that. Well, I think the reason when they had the question is, I think General Mattis was resigned as Secretary of Defense because Trump wanted to pull out of Iraq and and, and Syria. And I think Trump was, like I said, he took a business approach to it. Mm -hmm. He just saw it as a money loser. We're spending all this money and treasure of the lives of Americans in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. What are we getting out of it? Yeah, you definitely wouldn't see him leaving all that. He just looked at it as it's a waste of money. Yeah. We could use that money for something else. Going back to your, your your question is how he would have handled it. Now, he negotiated with the Taliban and he was going to do a withdrawal by, I think, May or something of this year. But he put conditions. The Taliban had to negotiate with the Afghan government. Taliban had to disavow themselves from Al-Qaeda and obviously don't kill Americans. Mm-hmm. And from the reports I heard, they told them, if you do this, we're going to pound you. So when they did this deadline, the Taliban didn't move like they did now. Yeah. So when Joe Biden comes in, he said, this is what Donald Trump signed. He wasn't tied to that agreement. No, like he wasn't tied to anything else that of the current administration or the previous administration he squashed all that. You're just telling me that this one thing uh, I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold on to it. Well, but see, that's a question that I wish the media would ask President Biden if they can get him to answer some questions. Never. Or why did you reject every other Trump um, policy except this one? And then when he changed the date, because first it was originally we're going to pull out September 11th, but he didn't want that optic. So he moved it to the 31st of August, and then he pulled all the troops out. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, a source said at CENTCOM that they sent it all the way up to the U.S. Command Authority, which is the Secretary of Defense, that the military wanted to, which is CENTCOM, wanted to evacuate the Americans first. The, his authority said, no, we're not doing that. My question is, was it the Secretary of Defense? Was it the office of the president or was it President Joe Biden himself said, no, you're not going to do that. But from a military standpoint, why would you evacuate all military personnel, but leave 10 to 15,000 Americans left behind? So the way they're handling, I think I got a pretty decent question after this, but the way they're, Joe Biden's handling this is like where he's saying something and then leaving without taking questions is that. I think he doesn't know. I think all this other stuff is going on as he's president. And I think I refer to it as Gramps is there and he's taking care of the kids, but the kids are running themselves and they're the ones getting in trouble and they're the ones doing 
uh, all the stuff behind Gramps' back because he's in the corner sleeping somewhere or he's going to bed early. Can this administration fix what has been going on the past week? It's going to be difficult because when the Secretary of Defense and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs gave their press conference, <laughs> the Secretary of Defense said, we can't go out and we don't have the capacity to go out and get the Americans. Now, when they gave up Bagram Air Base, which I was at in 2002, that was huge. It was easily defendable, had a big runway. But when now that's gone and now you're trying to operate a NEO, which is a non-combatant operation yeah. out of the Harmi Karzai International Airport, you're right in the heart of the city. So if these Americans are trying to get there and you can't go out and get them, you tell them to come to the airport but we can't guarantee your security. Can we guarantee? Yeah, can't okay, gar- so, guarantee but, their safety either. Okay, but here's the question: They, the Secretary of Defense, General Austin, said we secured the embassy and we secured the airfield. So that situation with all those people running onto the plane, that's been squelched. We we got to cor- uh, cordon that off. So if you see Americans come into the base, and you can tell who's an American, yeah, that's coming to the airport. It's not like Americans, like Afghanistani. People that became American citizens. You're talking about straight up, you know, Americans. You, you would know. Okay, so they start to stream toward the airport. What if you're in an Afghan? Why don't I jump in with them? Yeah. And then how are you going to separate an American from an Afghan who wants to get there if they're crowded around? There, you're going to shoot into the crowd. Well, also that leaves them a target for the Taliban as exactly. well. Exactly. But they, then they have then the State Department is negotiating with the Taliban to allow the Americans to get to the airport. Now, the 31st of August is when all U.S. person, everybody's supposed to be out. U.S. troops supposed to be out. Are we going to stay beyond that? Now, Joe Biden or President Biden was interviewed on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos, and he hemmed and high, didn't give a definite, we aren't leaving until the last American is out of there (laughs) and our allies. Now, General Jack Keane, who's the uh, former vice chairman of the, excuse me, vo- former vice chief of staff of the Army, who is the CEO and president of the Institute of the Study of War, told at Fox News that what he should do is say to the Taliban and send someone down to Kandahar where the leader of the Taliban is reportedly coming into and telling them straight up, we're not leaving until everybody we want to take out and all Americans and our allies and whoever can get is getting out. Mm-hmm. And if you do something, we're going to freaking go crazy on you guys. Yeah. But, but the situation, if you go by general Austin, he's saying we don't have the capability. Now, if he wants to add more capability, he has to go through the channels. He has to go ask directly from the president was ambivalent about where he's at on that. General Milley was asked, What about the intelligence report saying that you guys knew that this was going to be a problem? And he says there was no intelligence report saying that, but that contradicts some of the intelligence community and others throughout the military who said, no, we told them and they didn't listen. So why can't we just find why can't we just find out where a lot of the Taliban are hanging out and just drop another mother of all bombs and just, you know. But the question becomes, that's for the president of the United States. Now, here's an example. When they talk about civilians, 
back in 19, I think it was April 1975, then Senator Joe Biden said, we have no responsibility to pull out one South Vietnamese individual nor, or 100,001. So I just think he had it in his mind. And this is reports, not just me saying this. Other people have said this. He had it in his mind that he wanted to get rid of, get out of Afghanistan, no matter what was presented to him. I had a former commander when I served with in the Marines. He had the same leadership style as Joe Biden. No matter what was present, no matter what new information was presented to him, his mind was made up Mm -hmm. and he made mistake after mistake and eventually left because his time was up. Thank God. But he wouldn't see new information. Yeah. He just stuck. I want out. We're getting out. Don't press me with details. We're getting out. Mm -hmm. Now, we all knew we needed where we were going to get out. There was ways to do it. And the way they're doing it now, the situation is going to be very tenuous, especially for the Americans. Yeah. What do we do if the Taliban says we want conditions before we let these Americans go through? What Mm -hmm. are we going to do then? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of unanswered questions and not just what's going on now. The other question is General Petraeus, who was former CENTCOM commander, led U.S. forces in Afghanistan, obviously did lead U.S. forces in Iraq. He says, let's don't get to the name yet. Let's focus on that, the, uh, the thing at hand. I do agree with that. But at the same That's time, at the same time, all these generals kept reporting that the Afghan army is doing really well. We're standing they're, they're, they're doing a very good job. The question is, where was the disconnect? Was it down at their level? They didn't want to hear it. Or they were believing their own rhetoric from because I was in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I saw some of these troops and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, guys. Oh, yeah. I, I, it was the same thing when we were working with the Iraqi army. It was just, oh, hey, it's I don't think it's going to work out. OK, so when reports were going up to the generals and they had to report to Congress. Were they reporting accurate or were they? misled or were they not believing it or they just wanted to say everything is going good to keep the train rolling Mm -hmm. let's go ahead wrap that up and i'm pretty sure our listeners have questions like you said there's a lot of unanswered questions this is your area of expertise um you'll you will talk my ear off about not only foreign policy but with about Afghanistan because uh, you've done a lot of work over there. I've done a lot of work and I've read a lot about it and I got my master's degree. One of the things I specialized is was in the Middle East. Okay. So and submit your questions so that John can answer them. And if you see anything on Facebook that you want to share with the Ubaldi Reports group, go ahead. So I can keep an eye on it and I can bring it up to John and just kind of st- Stay out there. John, how can they get a hold of us? You can get a hold of us by going to Ubaldi Reports at gmail.com. That's Ubaldi Reports at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook groups, type in Ubaldi Reports group, you go to Facebook itself, type in Ubaldi Reports, go to Instagram and Twitter and check out Ubaldi Report. And you can go to the website at UbaldiReports.com. Okay, so we're going to be talking about this probably for a while. So we'd like to hear your input and we will talk to you soon. Hey, thanks a lot and keep listening to Ubaldi Report.